Hi, guys. Um, hang in there with me for two more weeks, counting tonight. That's a really short two weeks. It's like only eight days. I know we've been going through some uh, heavy, sometimes creepy <laughs> words and stuff, but uh, I've got a lot out of it, and uh, I, I, at least the uh, the focal point at the end is in sight, and that is permission to anticipate an eternity that seems to flow from who God is and is something that we can get behind. Uh, don't know if everybody's going to end up in that spot. There's a million things to think about, a lot of things to look at. But one thing I do know is that if we don't root that in uh, some confidence in the Scripture, then it'll always be in and out. And every time somebody challenges us or shames us or just tries to hold us to a tradition that we you know, we all had and that everybody kind of assumes on. So I want us to have permission to make up your own mind and your own heart. And I want you to have permission to be close to the Lord in that process and not not feel like you're being coerced by me or by anybody. So tonight we're talking about punishment. I do have a little bit of review, but I'm going to have to speed through that review quite a bit. So just pay close attention, Richard. Um, so we're talking about punishment. And I was looking for whatever little tagline would kind of set the tone for this. And I ran across this passage. Well, I mean, I, I looked for it uh, because I remembered it and I remembered the sense that it conveyed. And it, it kind of illustrated to me how seriously we do we or don't we take scriptures like this. And so this is a prophetic word that Ezekiel spoke, but it was declared by the Lord. Say, say this, say this. That's what God said. As I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Now, to me, that is a pretty revealing passage of Scripture about the heart of God. And I know that there was a time early in my life, and I know that there's still uh, a lot of different theological camps that you can see when you go different places or you listen to on Facebook or whatever, where people would, I don't think anybody would disagree with it. They would say, oh yeah, of course he doesn't. But what's the impact of him not taking that kind of pleasure? And when we're talking about a word like punishment, uh, there's, it just is what I'm kind of using to set the tone. So think about that. God says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. And so I could probably sum up the whole review about what we looked at uh, concerning justice and concerning um, vengeance, that justice in the eyes of the Lord isn't just making things be even, balancing out wrong. Justice in the eyes of the Lord is that the wicked would forsake their wicked way and would turn. I don't think he's going to be satisfied just putting an end to the wicked, at least not if that is something literal that we can believe about God's heart. So let's get started real quick. Uh, so here's our little illustrations. I just wanted to remind you again. Uh, and I know it's being a little bit simplistic that, you know, we're just boiling eternity down into essentially two options. Um, for those of you that, that uh, weren't here before, the reason that we shrunk that little uh, general Christian universalism down is it's more akin to what would happen as a result of a, a new creation covenant active type eternity, which is something that I'm trying to introduce us to. And then there's a representation of a, a typical heaven and hell to destination kind of thing. So uh, last week we looked at venging, uh, vengeance or avenge. There's basically three words in this one family, Nequam, Nequam, and Nequama. And the two passages that sort of illustrate the Old Testament position on vengeance is this one in Deuteronomy, a couple of them in Deuteronomy actually, uh, vengeance is mine and retribution in due time. Their foot will slip for the day of their calamity is near and the impending things are hastening upon them. The part that I want you to think about there and remember is that there's a big difference between God's uh, taking vengeance in an active way where he creates 
a negative circumstance to balance out somebody's sin or failure or whatever. And the fact that those sins and failures create negative circumstances that people have to be delivered from, and if they're not delivered from, they're going to catch up with them. And if you remember back a long time ago, we talked about uh, the way Solomon dedicated the temple. And if you remember, as part of his prayers, it was kind of a repetitive thing for a little while in the middle of it. He said, Lord, if because of our sin, we get taken captive in another nation, and we remember that and turn to you and turn to this place, deliver us. Or if because of our our uh, turning away from you, or our, our, our because of... So it listed a whole bunch of sins and said, if we turn to you, save us, deliver us. And, and, and that was part of the thing. So there's a consequence that is a different thing than what I grew up perceiving that God's personality is such that if you get on the wrong side of it, he will create trouble for you. I just don't know that that's the best way to think about it. That's kind of why we were looking at vengeance. Uh, verse 43 says this, Rejoice, O nations, with the people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and render vengeance upon his adversaries and will atone for his land and his people. So there's a redemptive component in this vengeance right from the get-go. Right from the get-go. And so let's keep that in mind. And then in Leviticus 19.18, our role in vengeance was summed up, I thought, pretty good in this one. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people. You shall love your neighbors yourself. Obviously, this is quoted a little bit later in the New Testament. But look at the two parts to this. You shall not take vengeance, nor hold a grudge. Wow. Wow. That takes the edge off of the vengeance idea. Don't even hold a grudge. You know, and of course Jesus went on and talked about that in the Sermon on the Mount and some other places like that. Uh, we'll look at that in just a sec. So anyway, that was the Old Testament, and it's pretty simple. Compared to a lot of the things that we've looked at, there wasn't very many words. There's only one word family that essentially talks about vengeance. Um, this is the word family in the New Testament. Ectikeo, ectikesis, ectikeo, and then a DK, the root word of all of those, sneaks in there for a couple of times. But um, this was the scripture that I think we have to pay attention to if we're going to obey and think properly. And thinking properly is the precursor to doing properly. So I, I, I see this as pretty significant. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men, and never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for his written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry... Now, I mean, I, I probably should emphasize that one with a little bold face. But if your enemy... It's not saying that people can't be your enemy. If they're your enemy, we're encouraged... If they're hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them a drink. For in doing so, you will heat burning coals in their head. Don't, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I think that's the thing that we have to be careful about, about vengeance. And that's why vengeance as a keynote in our thinking and, and, and in our eschatology and all this kind of stuff is dangerous because it has the chance to backfire on our own heart. And I think that's what he's saying that's kind of important at the end. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I have seen people... God-fearing, God-loving people uh, that get so embroiled in something that they are angry at, whether it's the news or whatever, that they can't they they can't resist the temptation to be kind of eaten up by it. And so I do think it's a danger, and I think that's why that's a warning. So that that's the thing on vengeance. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm trying to just connect that idea to your previous slide. I, I think the problem that where people get really erroneous is both saying God is vengeful, which it's okay to say he is if you understand that what he does is ultimately restorative. Right. It's the vengeance without purpose. God just wants to slap you around because yeah. you're bad. Vengeance purely because of offense. Right, or something and it's just like I that. need to smack you around because yeah. you did me wrong, so I'm going to do you wrong. And if we can recognize what God does is ultimately restorative, including, you know, read the entire law, it's always restorative, mm -hmm. then we can start to understand that then... Because it's only when we miss that that, that we ourselves become yeah. vengeful and hateful because we don't see a purpose right, exactly. in the redemptive. Or the, the, yeah. another way to say the same thing, you can tell me if you think it's true. We 
We inherit permission to behave towards other people like we think God, think God thinks is, about them. Right. Yeah. And that is what we got to be careful because you can lose your way with the very best of intentions if you don't allow God, if you don't, you know, if we don't know who God is. And that's one reason why this study, as uh, long and as agonizing at moments <laughs> that it has been, seems to me to be kind of important. What we expect of eternity has something to do, flows from how we think God is. And, and how we think he is even today. And I know a lot of people who have very sincere hearts, uh, particularly in the area of, of, of justice, and just things like that, that, that are simply acting in correspondence with how they think God thinks. And maybe they are, maybe they're not. And that's the question that I want us to be at least in a position to answer. All right, so tonight we're going to take a fresh look at punishment. So I got a couple little definitions here. I don't think punishment is super complex in, in what, what it means. Um, this was one I just pulled off, off uh, the, first, uh, the first result when I said define punishment on a computer. The infliction or imposition, and I didn't emphasize anything here, that's just how it's written. The infliction or imposition of a penalty as retribution for an offense. And the example they put was crime demands just punishment. So th- th- those, those emphasized words that they put in the definition make some sense to me to be emphasized. Infliction. It's something you do to somebody or you put on somebody or the imposition, that's where you would put on or you would assign it. So we're talking about the concept of punishment that involves um, an infliction of a penalty. And penalty is another interesting word. Uh, we don't have time to study it tonight, but I asked myself the question when I saw the definition, does God, is, are there penalties in God's realm from God's perspective? Like, why do we need penalties? We need penalties because things are out of our control. We need penalties because of a number of reasons. I just want you to think about it. I, I don't have an answer. And uh, if you come up and ask a question, I'll say, you didn't listen to me a minute ago. I said I don't have an answer. So we'll talk about it anytime. But I think penalty is something that's kind of inherent to our world. Uh, and, and so anyway, it was interesting to me. Second is punish, or punished, or punishes, or punishing, uh, is, is a verb, most of the time. The act or the intention to inflict a penalty as retribution for not. And so, uh, punishing is something you do, uh, punishment is something that exists. And so an example would be he was punishing her with his silence. Now, you could think of a lot more violent and a lot more aggressive forms of punishment, but I would say that's true. People punish one another emotionally and all all sorts of things as well. And then the punisher uh, being noun is one who punishes. So that last one, I don't know why I included it. It's not really that complicated. (laughs) But that's what we're talking about. We're talking about punishing. Okay? Everybody got an idea what that is, I'm pretty sure. Okay, so now, this is the uh, complicated slide, so have mercy on me. Uh, so punished and punishment in the Old Testament. But it's not, as, it's not as weird as I thought. When I was doing searches and stuff, you'll see. But here are the words that contribute to the use of the Old Testament, or the use of the word punish or punishment in the Old Testament. The first one is avon. It's a noun, and it means primarily iniquity. Fault, mischief, or moral evil. This word, not punishment, but this word is used in the, uh, in the Old Testament 230 times. Of the 230 times, it is translated punishment only 10 times. Now, you remember when we looked at some of these things where there were these huge discrepancies like mishpat and some of those other words? Well, here, here we go again. So, I, you know, if you've been here a while, you're going, oh, no, Larry's going to be on one of these things again. But nevertheless, this is the truth, okay? So there's 10 times that the word avon is translated punishment, and only 10 out of 230. If you see up at the top, these words, avon, nakam, pakwat, and yakar, are translated as punishment or punishment, something like that, only 46 times out of 610 uses in that combined word family. So that is a pretty small percentage. Dan's good at math. Maybe he can figure out what that percentage is. Okay. 
<laughs> All right, so Nakwam is a noun that we looked at last week. If, if you uh, noticed when I flew through the review, it is one of the primary words about vengeance. And so it's used 35 times in its Hebrew form, 35 times in the Old Testament. To avenge is 19 of them. Revenge or vengeance is 12. So that leaves a robust three times that that word, which is normally translated avenge, is translated punish. And you can see that there's a connection between avenging and punishing, you know. But anyway, nevertheless, there it is. Uh, Genesis, uh, we're going to look at those Genesis passages. They're very, very famous. You guys know what the Genesis 4.13 passage is? Anybody? Just checking. Okay, never mind. It's, it's when Cain was complaining. All right. Paquad is a verb, and it primarily means numbered if you use the amount of times it's used. It's, uh, it's, this word is in the Old Testament 302 times, and 124 of it is the word numbered, like David numbered this, or the children of Israel numbered, and so on. Uh, visit or visited is 60 times. And then the rest of these uh, amount to 91 times with the exception of punished. And so that's like charged or named or appointed or set over. So you can understand how uh, if you numbered the people in the army, there was an organizational aspect of that in the process. Or somebody was uh, numbered among the elders then that means they're included in. So it's the idea of charge, name, set over, appointed, made to call, etc. So there's a whole bunch of them, all of them that add up to 91. But then 31 times in uh, certain translation, numeric standards one, mostly I've been pulling these from, 31 times this thing is translated punished. Now, the fundamental meaning of numbered and all that stuff is generally pretty positive, even though it brought about some negative consequences when David numbered the armies and stuff like that. But that's... So again, now we're talking uh, 31 of 302, so that's about 10% or less of that. And then the last one is yachar, and it's a word that means to chasten or chastise or correct 29 times. It's translated correct. To instruct or teach 10 times, to reprove three times. So for out of 43 times in the Old Testament that yachar is used, it's translated one time punish. Now, one thing that I've told you guys over and over again, is when I find something like that where a word has a fairly consistent meaning for the the life of its existence in the Old Testament, and then there are these outliers, uh, that makes me nervous. All right, this made me nervous. This the, the, the differential here, the idea of 46 out of 610. And then, you know, the, the one thing that I do, that I've been doing, and I'm sure you guys are semi-tired of it, I did English word, not the Hebrew word, English word searches in different translations, and I'm so excited about it that I put this weird animation in. Isn't that fancy? Did that catch you by surprise? All right, so the New American Standard, if you search for the word punish with an asterisk, which in the search algorithm, what that does is it'll take, it'll find punish, punishes, punished, punish, you know, meant, all those things. Anything that follows that, that wild card. The New American Standard in the Old Testament has 114 returns on the search punish with the wild card. The King James, 69. Pretty big difference. Pretty big difference. Young's literal, 17. Even more of a difference. The NIV, 144. And the New Living, 248. I cannot tell you what words they use to translate that. I have not had the time to dig into that. But what you see here is a bit of a trend, and it's not just a historic trend. It's sort of an intentional sort of trend, like we experienced with the concept of justice, like we experienced with the concept of of vengeance, is that the more modern influence over a, a current translation, like the NLT and the NIV, the more this word shows up in a huge discrepancy, meaning there's a bunch of other words or a bunch of those 610 uses of those four words that get translated punishment that that uh, weren't translated that way in the more literal uh, thinking behind either the Young's literal or the older thinking behind the King James. 
Young's literal was, uh, see the King James was 1866 or something like that. 1611. Uh, Young's literal was 18, I think 18 something, early 18 something. Yeah. Yes, Ronnie. Just so I'm clear, the translation variables, we're talking about Old Testament translation in the New Living Testament. Right, we haven't gotten to the New Testament anything yet, or yeah, these are just this is just the uses in the Old Testament. Okay, from then, an English, not a not a, a language Hebrew language search, an English search. Okay. So there were three hundred there were six hundred ten uses of those four words, but there was only forty six instances that the New American Standard, for instance, translated uh, punishment. And obviously, there's less. Uh, there, there wouldn't even be forty six if you looked at the Young's literal. But uh, yeah, so it's it's. You do a search in a book or on a computer for the New Living, you come up with 248 instances of the word punish, punisher, punished, punishment. In the Old Testament specifically or for the whole Bible? In the Old Testament specifically. The New Testament, I put it on the bottom of the New Testament one. Okay. And then one other thing, when you mentioned the word numbered, um, the first thing came to my mind was the expression, your days are numbered. It's kind of like, watch out. Kind of thing. Yeah, that could be one way that, you know. Well, it says you know. it's a verb. Sure. Right? Okay. All right. So here are some uh, key scriptures that help, I think, root this. And Because and, uh, I'm not saying that we shouldn't use the word punishment, but I say there's got to be some, some caution when you got one translation that translates at 17, another one, you know, 16 or something like that, and then somebody has 248. So... Anyway, this is probably the most famous. Plus, I also uh, wanted to employ the principle of first mention. So all these scriptures uh, on these four words are the first mention of them. Okay, So here it is, Avon, Genesis 4.13, and Naquam is Genesis 4.15. So in this one instance, two of the four words that are translated in various ways by various people in various variety, uh, they're here. Okay? So here it is. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment, and that's Avon, is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden. And I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. So the Lord said to him, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance, naquam, it's not translated uh, punishment here, but I have seen a couple that it was, uh, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain so that no one finding him would slay him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden, and built a city, and he called the name of that city after his son. So I'm going to open this up and read a little bit larger context, and I want you to think about something with me. So Genesis 4, I'm going to back up to verse 11, I think. And I want you to think about how accurate the use of the word punishment is in the mouth of Cain. Okay? Um, oh, no. I'm going to start in verse 9. So we know the whole story. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? This was, of course, parenthesis just after he'd murdered him. <laughs> okay. But he really didn't know where he was. Well, he probably did. He left him laying someplace. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? He said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. So let me ask you something. Who did what to Cain? Was God cursing Cain? doesn't say he did. He said the ground has heard, has received this, and now it's not going to respond to you. Okay, just think about it. I know, you know, 
Uh, is God in charge in everything that goes on in the world? So, and so he does that? Well, you, yeah, we, I've thought that way sometime in my life. But I saw this and I thought, nah, nah. this is a reaction of, this, of, the, of the ground and its stewardship or something, its nature, to what Cain did. So then Cain says, Cain says to the Lord, my punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden. And I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. So the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will I take on him sevenfold. Now this is the first action in this story that God claims to be the author of. Whoever kills Cain, I will take vengeance on him, not Quan. This is different. Just think about this. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain. This is the second action that God did. I don't know what that means. Some people say it was a skin color. Some people say it was a mark on his forehead. Who knows? I don't know what it is. So the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain, so that one finding him would slay him. No one finding him would slay him. Then Cain, okay, so now Cain is under this, quote, punishment, right? Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. We don't know what kind of environment or neighborhood that was. Maybe it was punishment. (laughs) Maybe it was just another city. Cain had relations with his wife. We don't know whether she was like really bad at sex or really ugly, but maybe it was punishment. <laughs> but I don't necessarily think so. We import it to that. Him, him having relationships and having a son and having a house and building a city. And was that punishment? Sorry, that was a little bit edgy. <laughs> Cain had relations with his wife and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch. And he built a city and he called the name of the city Enoch after the name of his son. Does that sound like punishment to you? Who called that punishment? We're translating it like Cain did. And we realize, or we, we in, interpret it with that reading, which is the reading that every translation I saw. So this is kind of risky. I, I feel more comfortable if I can point to something like a different translation or Young's Literal or something, and say, hey, you know, somebody else saw it this way. I don't know. I can't find anybody that translates that anything except punished. Could have been, you know, back to Adam and stuff like that. Yeah. Could have been. Here's what I think. I think if we take... The, the more normal meaning of the word uh, avon, the, the one that's 120-something times iniquity, and then you add the other things in there about moral evil and other things like that. I think what Cain did was he confessed. He repented before the Lord. The Lord's presence and the Lord's question provoked him to recognize his own evil. And if you read it this way, it reads like this. Cain said to the Lord, My iniquity is too great to bear. Not my punishment, my iniquity. Because remember, iniquity was like 114 times or something like that out of that 230. My iniquity is too great to bear. And then he recites what's happened. You've driven me this day. Of course, he's assuming that that's the case. And I will be hidden and vagrant. And so the Lord responded and protected him. Not punished him. And that protection bore up because he wasn't killed. He settled a city. He found a wife. He had a child. So why? So I'm thinking our propensity to interpret God as needing to be a punisher forces us to translate a word that is vastly more often translated iniquity 
or evil or something like that. Vastly more often, we translate it as punishment so we can set that at the hand of God. And when I was studying this stuff out, I got mad and I, I go, I am sick of us slandering you, Father. Now, I'm not asking you to join me and I don't want you to get mad. It was kind of carnal. But I do want you to think about this. There's not very many times this word is translated. Let's go back, as a matter of fact, take a quick look. So Avon is, is translated punishment ten times, and this is one of them. And this is the first one. This is one of them. But it's translated iniquity 218 times out of 230. So in my little way of doing that, for me to plug iniquity in there doesn't abuse the way this gets read. My iniquity is too great to bear. I see, I see him recognizing this thing that he was hiding from earlier by, oh, I don't know, where's my brother, you know? And then I see the Lord protecting him. So anyway, yes, sir. Um, you pointed out something I've never seen in that scripture before. He says, I will be a vagrant and a wanderer. And then it says what happened to him. Wasn't being a vagrant and a wanderer. He, he settled. Yeah. Wanderers don't settle, and, and vagrants do not establish cities. Yeah. So he was establishing something in his own mind that wasn't happening, wasn't going to happen to him. I'll never forget when Janice had died, and I'd, I'd gotten here, I was traumatized, and I had Abby by my side, and uh, Richard asked me a question. And uh, he said, what do you need? And he's very sincere. He wanted to, what do you need? And I said, Richard, I need to stop moving with a baby at my side. Mm. It's going to just find some place to call home. I don't, I don't care where it is. I don't just stop. I'm living out of boxes with a baby. It was miserable. And I was reminded of that experience. I'm like, God blessed me with a place to live for a while, and I was really grateful for it. Um, but I was just thinking of that. It, none of these things that he's said that are so negative happened to him. I know. <laughs> that's, that's a testimony against this uh, being uh, a mandatory infliction of something for the offense. Yes, Dave. We're not going to get all the way through this tonight. I can tell that. I've never really laughed at this passage before, but I am now because it seems like the only thing holding a grudge is the earth. Yeah. The earth is mad because it drank his brother's blood, yeah. and it's not going to yield, it's not going to give its strength to, to Cain. Mm-hmm. And so that almost makes me want to become an environmentalist. Okay, well, there you go. All right, so we're going to move on because I want to cover a couple more things. So, uh, Paquad, which is sometimes translated, not very often, a couple times, out of however many it was, uh, translated that way. This is the first time this was used. And you tell me if you could plug uh, punish into this verse. Then the Lord took note of Sarah. King James says visited. Other translations use the visited translation. Then the Lord took note of Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he has promised. Punisher? No. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, in the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called his name, the name of his son, Abraham called the name of his son, who was born of uh, uh, him of Sarah, Isaac. And then Sarah was having a conversation with the other ladies, and she goes, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh. That uh, you know, And it goes on, the next sentence says there, because Abraham was 100 years old, and so on and so forth. There's no way that you could put the word punish in there for the word take note of. And the Lord punished Sarah... So if it isn't legitimate there, are we sure it's legitimate the other places? Paquad, there's 31 times that this word, which is used 302 times in the, New, in the Old Testament, is translated punished. Call me skeptical. I don't trust that especially when the very first use of the word could not possibly have meant punished. 
God was blessing Sarah, keeping his word to her, like it is a lot of times when people are appointed or set over or made to or called to or visited by God or something along those lines. Can God visit you and it be a bummer and a judgment? Yeah, but that's not what happens most of the time with that, and it certainly wasn't what happened with Sarah. So that's one that makes me... Oh, before we go. So the next one is Yakar, 43 times, punish is only used one time. Here's the first... uh, First thing about Yakar, it's in Leviticus. And it happens to be the only time Yakar is translated as punish. If also after these things you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. I will also break down your pride of power. I will also make your sky like iron and your earth like bronze. Your strength will be spent uselessly, for the land will not yield its produce, and its trees of the land will not yield their fruit. Sounds a little bit like what we translated Cain as interpreting as punishing. Right? That's the only instance where this word yakar is translated punishment. The rest of the time, it's translated chasten. And chasten is much more akin Not that there isn't a punishment component to that, but it's much more akin to discipline. Okay? All right. Here's the New Testament run. We're going to just get to the end of this baby. The first word is pedaeu. It's translated two times out of 13 to punish. The rest of the times are chastise or chasten, discipline, or learn. Uh, Hebrews 12, 6 and 7 is probably the quintessential scripture for this one, and that's the one talking about a father disciplining his children and the Lord disciplines himself. The second word is colazo, and it means to curtail, prune, or dock. And interestingly enough, it's only used two times in the New Testament. One time is translated punish, the other is translated punishment. Acts 4.21 and 2 Peter 2.9. The next word is a part of the Colosso family. It's a couple words later. It's the word Colossus. It's derived from Colosso, and it also means punishment or chastening. Uh, it's used twice in the New Testament, and this is really the killer. This is the big one, that we have to understand what it means because it's actually in a super significant passage relative to eternity. Matthew 25, 46. And these will go on to eternal life, and these will go into eternal punishment. That's the word, colazo. It's used in one other place. The other place it's used is a very special place. It talks about how perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment. So, I'm not saying that there's no place for punishment. I'm saying we have to think about how that works. But that's the only two instances that this word is used. And then, timoreo means to punish, but in the culture, the Greek culture and the language, it means to punish with with vindictiveness and stuff like that. And you can see it in the the words. Both of these are used in Acts, and it's about Paul standing before the magistrates explaining what he was like and what he was doing before he came to know the Lord. So before his domestic experience, he said, I went to these places with with, uh, uh, endorsement of the religious leaders to punish them. Punish the Christians, punish the way. Both of those are two of Paul's testimonies in front of the Roman magistrates. And then timoria means, the, the, the basic word for that one, which is similar to what it means up there, means a penalty. And so it goes back to that idea of punishment as a penalty. And I think that's one of the reasons we're so prone to translate these things as punish, because we believe that penalties are some form of righteousness, some form of justice, some form of equity, some form of balancing. And Hebrews 10.29 is that one. So uh, here's the variation in here. Obviously, it's not as dramatic because it's, there's not that many uses. But the New American Standard cites 14 times. King James cites 9. Young's Literal cites 10 uh, of the words punish, punishment, punished, punished. The NIV, once again, ups the ante to 27, and the NLT ups the ante to 35. Guys, there's just not that many words that even 
could remotely be. So what some of these are reaching for is words about vengeance or words about judgment, and they prefer to call them punishment in the translation because they feel like something's better about that. One of the worst is that in Hebrews 1, you know, disciplining your children. Because that patio word actually is a Greek tradition which was a place of training for civic leadership. So it was actually an elite training to build up leaders for the future. In other words, the point of the training was advancement. It was leadership and, yep, development. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Interesting. So, uh, and then there's a, there's a couple words in that family which we could look at here shortly, but like this is it uh, right there. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, paideo, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline, paidei. One of these words specifically is the version of this word that means to train up a child. It's uh, it's the home life version of the one you're talking about. Uh, uh, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there the father doesn't pay deal? What if you? Uh, but if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, you're illegitimate children and not sons. For in, in other words, the point is punishment could be said. You could call discipline punishment, but it doesn't carry the same meaning at all. It carries the wrong meaning about, not necessarily the act, because you might get a whipping, and it might feel like punishment, and people might go, "Ooh, he really got punished." But it's the person that is slandered by the use of it wrongly is the one doing it. God or the father or the people that organize the school, the training. Anyway, it goes on. All discipline. For the moment, doesn't seem joyful. So that's kind of the big one there. And then here's the other one that's a part of this group. Uh, I thought this was fascinating. I just included it because it's fascinating. Um, this is when Jesus is before uh, Pilate, and then he goes off and gets before Herod, and then he comes back. And now Pilate's addressing, and he did this twice, using the word patio. He did this twice. So Pilate summoned the chief priests and the rulers and the people, and he said to them, You brought this man to me as one who incites people to rebellion, and behold, having examined him before you, I found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you made against him. No, nor has Herod. For he sent him back to us, and behold, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. Therefore, I'll punish him and release him. Or I'll chastise him or discipline him. Okay? And then again, verse 22, down a little bit more. This is the third time he told them no, and he used this word a second time. Why? What evil is this man does? I've found in him no guilt demanding death. Therefore, I will punish, chastise him, and release him. And there are translations, like David Bentley Hart uses the word chastisement in that. It does reveal something, I think, very special about Pilate's heart and his awareness of that situation. And then, you know, you couple that with the fact his wife had a dream and came and said, hey, don't do this, this guy. So our propensity to choose to translate these things as punish carries with it an expectation of that uh, retributive kind of idea, and it just isn't in these words in this particular set. All right, so now Colazo, the first one there, there's only two scriptures in the, in the New Testament that have that word in it, and it says, when they had threatened them further, this is the apostles after they kept speaking about Jesus when the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin told them not to in Acts. When they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to colazo them, punish them, on account of the people. Now, I think that probably means punish, because that's what these guys were wanting to do. They were trying to punish them and shut them up. It was retributive. It was manipulative. The next one is in 2 Peter 3.9, and I think this was chosen. It was translated differently instead of punish to punishment, but it's the only other time colazo is used. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. So whoever, uh, uh, the author here, Peter, believed, no doubt in my mind, that God was storing something or that these people were being held for a day of punishment. So I'm not, again, I'm not suggesting that, but I will tell you, if punishment, you know, there's not really any way to look at that to eternity model and see one of them where hell is half the destination and not think of hell as punishment. It, it has to be. So you'd think that if punishment was, was one of two options, 
in eternity. There would be quite a bit of talk about it. There's two instances of this word, which probably means punishment. That doesn't mean that, like in, in Padio, there's, there's 13 other instances and there's two that are punished. No, this is, there's two in this word, period. Twice. Okay? Next one is the Colossus, the next one. And this is one, uh, this is probably the most significant verse. And I will tell you this, that the traditional Western, uh, dualistic heaven hell destination image, option one that we put on our icon, it hangs almost exclusively on this verse. How many times have you had people teach or show, well, if it's, uh, if it's eternal punishment, if it's eternal life, it has to also be eternal punishment. That's why we're going to talk next week, if I can get to it, on eternal and age, aeon. But anyway, let me read it. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they themselves will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer, truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. Plus, you didn't say the sinner's prayer. So, these will go away into eternal punishment. It doesn't say that, sinner's prayer thing. I'm just kind of mocking that theology a little bit. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This word could just as easily be translated chastisement. And they will go away into an age of chastisement. Or even if it's an age of punishment. Does that mean it's an eternal age, a perpetual age, or forever? That's what we got to talk about again. All right, the other verse is, and this balances this word. This is the only two uses of it. Only two in the New Testament. And one of them has to do, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected from love. So that verse, the punishment, is on our perception. It's from our side. See that? So we can't necessarily assign that to God. That's us being afraid. To Maria, these last two, pretty simple. Uh, this is the two instances where Paul was testifying about himself. The last sentence there is, From uh, them also I received letters to the brethren and start off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were in Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. To Maria. So Paul's motive was vindictive. It was abusive. And then as I punished Timoreo, them in all these synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme and being furious. So the motive here, the vindictiveness, the intentional manipulation, it's clear here. And that's what that word stands for. And then Hebrews 10.29, how much severe Timoria punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded in unclean blood the covenant by which he was sanctified? So first of all, it's asking a question. Second of all, it's a question that is being asked out of a passion for the defense of God. The writer of Hebrews, whoever that is, the writer of Hebrews was saying, man, oh man, if a person's going to tread underfoot the grace of God, the blood of Christ, the gift of the Holy Spirit, how much more punishment do they deserve? It's not a doctrinal statement about punishment. It's an expression of this writer about the, the grossness, the wrongness of coming against God with that. So, that was kind of quick. If we reflect back, which eternal option allows for the not necessarily permanent and punitive aspect of this? It would obviously be the one that I'm calling the eternity new creation model. Which one needs punishment to be uh, punitive and permanent? It's the first one. So that's all I'm saying. We're going to walk out of this eventually having to make a choice or getting to make a choice on what we expect of eternity. What does it say about God? And, uh, you know, I know if, if, if I had just come up here prior to going through all this stuff and said, I want to challenge a couple concepts. I want to count, challenge the concept of justice being something that we can uh, anchor our hope on as far as how things are going to work out. I'm going to, con I'm going to uh, challenge the idea of um, 
of vengeance being something that's desirable to equal the scales out. And I'm going to challenge punishment. I would have expected you guys to think I was stupid or a heretic or something. But when you look at the word base for those three concepts, they do not, they don't have the substance to carry the presumption that many, many Christians carry. And that presumption is worth challenging because one of the byproducts of it is that it, it uh, has a tendency to create an incredibly negative set of assumptions about who God is and how he does business. So, next week we'll look at eternity. We have very little time for questions, but a little. Yes, sir. If you go back to the Colossus slide. The what? Colossus. Colossal. K. Which one? One more. That one. Yeah. Um, something I noticed, and because I, I guess I look for these things. When I talk to people and I mention to them that I believe Jesus is in everybody, mm-hmm. whether they're a saved person or not, yeah, um, they look at me strangely. Yes, they do. And yeah. <laughs> Look at that scripture right there. It says, when you have done this to even the least of these, you have done it to me. Interesting. Who are these? Yeah. Everybody. Or anybody that's the least of these. So it it seemed to stand out to me, and I thought that was interesting. Very cool. All right. Anybody else? Yes. Becky. Good to have a question coming from you. No surprise, I'm sure this is a can of worms, but all the way back to Cain, how did he get out of the presence of God? We took the whole passage literally, but you just kind of bleeped over that, and he went out from the presence of God and went to <clears throat> Nod or wherever it was he went. Yeah. So do we do we get to just say, we're not taking that part literally, everything else we're taking literally, but he was know, still in the like presence of God? You don't have to, uh, we can ponder that another time. Yeah, but. absolutely. No, that's good. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Verse 16. Interesting, yeah. Good. I think being out from the presence of the Lord is why Jesus had to come and hang on the cross and cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even though we know God didn't forsake him, but that was the perception, that was the arena, so that's a very good question. So, Yes, sir. I was thinking about that part. So Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, but it doesn't say... Because of this, Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, so I'm reading a little bit into it. But we did just establish that everything that he was scared of and all the negativity didn't happen to him. Didn't happen to him. So he did it himself. And this goes back to your teaching on Adam and Eve that was, to me, really huge. Mm -hmm. God did not hide himself from them. After the fall. They hid themselves from him. Correct. So this is the same dynamic as Adam and Eve. Could be. Yeah. Could be. Yeah, you know, we would have to try to look look and see what role did God play in conceiving and delivering Enoch and all of that, you know, with that you know ultimately destroyed parts of the world for sure from the flood. So okay, praise God. 